I'm Georgie. And I'm VG. Welcome to our podcast, Diversity and Inclusion, Satisfying the Tick Box. In today's episode, we'll be covering racial discrimination. So just a bit of background of what discrimination actually is. Um, it's when someone's treated unfairly for any of multiple reasons, for example, age, disability, sexual orientation, and many more. So what these are are protected characteristics which come under the Equality Act um, and discrimination can basically be based on any one of these characteristics. And when we're talking about racial discrimination what that is is when you're you're treated uh, unfairly because of your race or because of uh, the race of someone you're connected with such as your partner. So it's great to be back speaking to you. How's your week been? The week's been busy with work uh, and everything but the other thing is, in the last couple of days, we've had this heat wave with 33 degrees in, in London. And, uh, yeah, stuck indoors is not a great thing. Yeah, it's mad. I feel like us Brits really can't deal with the heat, can we? <laughs> oh, definitely yeah. not. So you're based in Croydon, aren't you, in London? Indeed, yep, South London. Have you lived there all your life? No, I'm actually from Paris. Um, I moved to, to, to Croydon in... 2003 when I was 10 so my, my parents moved us over here oh wow that's two very different places isn't it um how was it growing up in Croydon then so obviously Croydon being my adoptive city in London uh, it's it's been it's been an awesome journey so far I'm not gonna lie to you I think Croydon's so diverse I know there's a lot of negative talks about Croydon negative info that comes and some parts are dangerous but you know Croydon for me Croydon made me who I am right now uh it's um yeah, it's been fun I went to a state school called Langfrank when I was growing up and yeah shout out to all the Langfrank mandem if you listen to this <laughs> Langfrank was uh how do I say was a great stepping stone it, it, it's um it really gave me the foundation as an individual that sounds really cool I've, I've been to Croydon it, it is a nice place isn't it um so as a kid Growing up in Croydon, can you think of the first time when you maybe experienced discrimination or did you ever feel like you were targeted at all? Yeah, I would say, you know, when 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 you're growing up in Croydon or anywhere else, you've all, always got a, a group of mates that you hang around with. And I clearly remember this when we were 15, 16, and it was in the town centre. We, we were just there hanging around and we, we, we got stopped and searched quite a few times by the police and that is uh at that age you don't really understand you know when they explain to you the grounds or why they're doing this they'd probably tell you oh it's a well-known area for drugs it's a well-known area for gangs um but yeah we've got stop and search numerous times and what makes it more official is when you get that 50 90 stop and search slip so it's a receipt to explaining why you've been stopped and when you read that it's like it was just didn't make sense as a kid to to you, you know, why you were stopped, why they were doing this. Um, for them, it's probably like, uh, like, like I said, a group of school children hanging around, loitering around the town centre. But for me, the way I saw that it was just me and just a group of friends hanging around, like every other kid would we would do. And moving on from that, the other thing that has been constant and growing up and it's still around for me is every time I go into a shop or a store, somehow some of the security guys just follow me around. It's 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 kind of weird to explain, but it's it, it does happen to me. It's like I walk into the store, they'll look at me, and then all of a sudden I'm walking to an aisle, and they're following me around. Uh, and to this day, that still happens at some some of the shops. You know, I am probably that stereotype. 
that must just be so odd. You just having someone follow you around. You just want to get on with your shopping on your own, don't you? And kind of enjoy yourself. But um, that must have been really tough. Also, being being that age, um, having that happen to you, because you, yeah, you must have been so confused. And I think there's there's various different types of discrimination, isn't there? So there's direct and indirect, and then obviously harassment and victimization so would you say that you've experienced any of the, these types of discrimination yeah 100 percent it's um i've experienced it so the one event that really sticks to my mind and has been probably a catalyst in terms of my career path is uh in 2012 august i was coming back from france to london on the eurostar and i was with my sister at that time that's the same period that the London Olympics were, were running in, in, in London. And what happened is we got off the train and we're walking through, you know, board, the border force control area. And somehow out of all the passengers that, that were there, I was the only one who got stopped. So I was 19 at that time, uh, Asian male with a beard. I got stopped by these two burly white officers in suits and they started to ask for my passport after they gave them my passport they started to really ask me intrusive questions so where did I go who did I stay with what did I do on those specific days that were uh, that I was in Paris and you know it's at that time I didn't really understand I looked around I was like okay what why is it just me that got stopped and I looked at my sister uh, I've made eye contact with my sister I was like this is odd you know and um, I just I just felt like I was being interviewed in front of everyone on the spot and I, f I felt like um, I, 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 I felt humiliated I, I felt like it's why me out of everyone is it because I'm Asian is it because I got a beard and do you know what if I knew what I know now I would have definitely asked for those officers' justification, their details, and taking this up further. I would have made an official complaint. But on the flip side of this, that incident was that interaction. That was a catalyst for me to, to really join the police because I wanted to be representing a, my my people effectively because it's um it was two white officers talking to me. It wasn't a true representation of, of the community that they were serving. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to join the police. Yeah, I guess, like you said earlier, growing up in um, Croydon your whole life, you don't really see yourself as other. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it must have been really tough to have that experience and kind of not understand why. So you said you were, this. this is what made you go into the police. Can you just explain a bit more about your journey on getting into the police and what it was like? So my first experience within a police force was when I was 21. It was a couple of months after I graduated with my bachelor's degree. And I went into this voluntary police officer role within a police force in the UK. That really opened my eyes for me. Um, it was based in a very difficult borough at that time where you had a lot of things going on. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I loved it, but there were a lot of learnings for me as well. And whilst I was doing that voluntary role on a part-time basis, I actually managed to secure a full-time position in the control room for that police force as well. And where uh, I was handling 999 and one-on-one -on -one calls, so emergency and non-emergency calls. 
even then that was a different kind of experience, a different kind of challenge because you're dealing with people on the phone and that's how much, as far as you can help them. That was quite tough at times, some of the situations. So you could be taking a, a, a domestic violence call. It could be, oh, I'm getting assaulted. I need the police here right now. Or someone's breaking into my house or I've been stabbed. I've been shot. Um, you get the gist. It, it was, it was, it was quite, quite a difficult role. I'm not, I'm be honest about that. You could be dealing with any type of call that came in. So that experience really opened my eyes in terms of dealing with people and talking to people to try get the information out of them. Moving on, my next experience within a police force was within a police neighbourhood team in, in an affluent part of the UK. And then I eventually progressed into a police officer role full time. So that's really my background within the police. That's so interesting. So when you went into being a full-time police officer, what was your day-to-day like? Because I bet your adrenaline was on 100 miles per hour all the time, having all these different calls and having to go to all these different places. What what was it like for you? Higgs, it was, it was literally that. It was the adrenaline so high because I was attached to an emergency response team. So anyone that calls 999 or 101, we're the first persons that go there and deal with that, that, that call and whatever incident it is. So you could be going to a live burglary or robbery or even an assault it could be anything or even a mental health crisis um so you don't know what the nature of the call is until that call comes in and they they, they pass it on to you as if you're a an available unit to go deal with that so the adrenaline was always high because that excitement of going there trying to deal with it and remember it's always about being flexible and agile because you just never know whether that call how it's going to pan out but also whether it is a legitimate call or it's something else that you're going to deal with so there was always a lot of excitement but one of the fundamental core values was I always loved to help people that were in need people that you know might not have a voice people that find it difficult to ask for help yeah, that's um, that's a really good point. I feel like no amount of training, what whatever the situation is, will prepare you for for the things that you'll have to kind of deal with. To be honest, just to uh, just to add something from from, from that, that it's a different ball game uh, in training and real life situation. It's it's two completely different things. It's uh, what you get taught in 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 a training environment. It's very much in a safe environment, and it's 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 stimulated. But when you go out in the real world, you just never know how it pans out. Yeah, I guess you you'd probably kind of hope it would be in the or pan out in the same way that it would in a training environment. But I'm guessing it never does, right? <laughs> it's never like that. I'll tell you. <laughs> From I remember learning how to do a stop and search uh, at training school and uh, going out in in, in, in 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 town and actually doing it, it's very different. People, uh, you just never know how someone might react to you and you can, you always have to be on your guard. It's as simple as that. Maybe that's why I'm always on the edge. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> it's, maybe it's, you're, it's carried on from being in the police. It's like in my DNA now, to be honest, but yeah. yeah. So you obviously said earlier that you dealt with the, the public quite a lot. Did you ever experience any discrimination when when dealing with the public? Yeah, so quite a few times actually. You can see, I the one standout incident was when I attended this criminal damage uh, call where the suspect was unseen, and we got there just to cut the story short. Eventually, I had to arrest that person, and I took them back to custody. 
And whilst in custody, what that person said to me was, and this is in front of the custody sergeant, whilst I'm presenting that person there and booking them in, was uh, that person looked at me in my eyes and said, there are many seeds of evil in the world. There are co they are called you are a terrorist and he just pointed at me in front of the sergeant oh my god yep so um and i just want to clarify you know as a, as a police officer you're trained to, to to take a level of abuse and be be resilient but when they bring a sort of racial element into it or even religious element or anything that's going to cause discrimination that's when you deal with it so what i did is i further arrested this person for 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 a racially aggravated public order the the sergeant opposite me was a white sergeant and he was fuming i i remember that clearly so yeah that that that, that was one of the incidents that i had to deal with and that must have been absolutely infuriating to hear someone say that how how did that make you feel in the moment i, I consider myself to be a person who has quite high uh, levels of resilience but at that, at that moment whilst this person standing next to me saying this you, you do get angry uh, because they're making assumptions about you so why do you think that some people say these disgusting things and also have these views do you think it's um more of a product of their environment or do you think it's kind of an, an innate thing that comes from within Higgsy, i if i'm being totally honest with you i think it's a combination of a number of factors so that could include being ignorant. It could also be the biases and prejudices that are ingrained in them from the people around them. For example, from the moment they were growing up and how they've been brought up. But it could also be various other factors like the media. But what I'd like to point out is that I don't think that a racist person is born racist. I think that they are a product of their environment. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's that whole thing. Like, you know, when you put like two apples together say if there's like an apple that's going a bit moldy and you put an apple next to that that apple's going to go moldy and it's the exact same thing so if you're around people that have these i don't know moldy views like horrible views then you're you're going to eventually think the same thing and you just get used to your your environment don't you think i totally agree again i think it's um it sometimes it, it I wonder whether that's a systematic problem within within the the community. Yeah. I think also it's it's hard because when people grow up with having these views just thrown at them, how do you that person essentially has to go and relearn everything that they've been taught growing up and I think that takes a lot of time but the people that are willing to relearn and do the work when they know that these views are very incorrect I think that's when when it's good you've just got to make that change in yourself I think and for following on from your point nothing is impossible it is doable you know if someone wants to change their mindset or their views on life they can go through that journey it's doable it's just are they willing to take that first step to make that positive change Exactly. And I think that also comes down to your environment. So if you think the people that you're around aren't serving you anymore and they're not bringing any positive change to your life, you've just got to remove yourself and kind of 
find a new group of people that actually have moral values and have the correct views in a way i think it it could be a culture thing as well or you know we, we've got many generations now in in living together so and i'm going to give you an example because this has happened to me and it was when i was uh, attached to a local policing neighborhood team and i attended to take a report from this uh, person who lives in an affluent part of the town and I was in uniform. You can clearly identify me as being part of that police team. So when I got there and this person opened the door, they didn't believe that I was part of the police. Even though I was in uniform, I showed them my badge. But what that person actually proceeded to do was call the control room to confirm that I was an actual officer within that neighbourhood team. I'll tell you how I felt that time, uh, Higgsy. I felt less than that person. I felt like, why is this happening to me? And it was, um, it's choking me up to be honest, even thinking about it. It was, uh, it was quite a strange, strange time. I, and that's why I think that it's a generational thing where there might be, there might not be some trust within the community. I don't know. Yeah, I think having that said to you, to have someone kind of come back and not believe believe that, I think must have been absolutely just so upsetting and just really a knife to the heart, really. Yeah, it was it was it was like a slap on the face, uh, to be honest. It was uh, it, 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 I don't want to go through that again and I don't want anyone else to no. go. Again, but, 100%. but then if you if you're thinking about it it's like how do we how can we promote that inclusion within the community we're not talking about we're talking about the community not even the workplace so and i think it comes back down to educating raising awareness which we're doing through here that's that's the, one of the reasons we started the podcast yeah definitely i think it's hard when it's a generational thing as well because think how many years what 60 plus years that that's been ingrained in them it's very it's very hard to kind of put these new ways of thinking to them because they're just so stuck in their ways um so just going back to when you were in the police as well were you did you ever experience any other racism within the workplace um just moving away from the public was there anything in the workplace that that you can remember there was a particular event that stands out for me and this was when I was an actual police officer so I was part of this uh, neighborhood investigations team and for this, I'm going to let the listeners make their own judgments about this because at that time for me it was it was it was quite odd, but hear me out. So just to give you a little bit of background, this sergeant was a fairly new line manager, and this wasn't the first or sole incident that happened with this skipper, but I would say it was the most significant. So in the past, uh, just to give you an example, um, one night shift, uh, the the same sergeant was in charge of the night. And uh, they've reallocated me to man up the covert car, um, which is quite exciting because you're not wearing uniform and you're blending in with the public. So I asked the skipper when I was told that I'm going to man up uh, the, the the covert car. Oh, who who is my driver for the night? It's, it's, it's really a standard question you ask. 
And they responded by saying, oh, you don't want to be in the COVID car? Okay, you can man up the front office of uh, the police station for the night. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. So that's just a little bit of background in terms of what had happened. So coming back to that particular incident with that same sergeant, I asked the sergeant if I could get some assistance from my fellow colleague regarding an investigation to carry out some inquiries because at that time I couldn't go out. And this was in the writing room, which is quite an open space. I was one of the only Asian officers there. And there were officers from the previous emergency response team who were waiting to clock off and some uh, officers from my emergency response team scattered around the writing room. So I went up to the sergeant and asked for help. They refused, which is fine. But then they said, where's the effect of get back in your box? In a very condescending and spiteful way. That skipper said that quite loud enough that everyone in the vicinity could hear it. And I just don't think it was appropriate at that time. Like I mentioned, I want the listeners to make up your own mind about this. But when that skipper said that to me, I felt like they were talking to me like I'm some kind of animal to get back in my box. At the end of the day, I'm I'm only a human being, just like you, just like everyone else. And that moment was probably one of the, the, the moments where I was the most angriest and it takes a lot for me to reach that point after that happened I went back and sat on my desk and one of my colleagues who was sitting behind me when this whole thing took place and for anonymity we're going to refer them as uh, PC Ben or Ben they reached out to me and they said that they heard what, what was said to me and that if I wanted to take things further that they'll back me so if I wanted to make an official complaint they, 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 they will support me and do you know how that made me feel at that moment? It made me feel human again, that someone is willing to go out their way to stand up for me. I'll tell you what happened after that. The skipper actually called me to to their office. What what did he say when you went? Did you go to the office or? I did go. I I did go to to the office, but it was very brief. In my head, I, I didn't see a future in the police if it was going to carry on like this. And. What I did after I left the, the, the skipper's office, I immediately called the first person that I called was my friend who started at the same time as me in the police academy. And he advised me to call the federation to ask for some guidance from them. And you know what? What that sergeant did was probably not the worst thing that happened. When I called the federation, who are meant to be impartial, I explained to them the circumstances, so exactly what happened with that skipper. And the person on the other side of the phone said that they knew that skipper and words to the effect of that they are a good person. So I thanked them. I ended a call and that was the nail in the coffin for me. I think, you know, I really thought I was going to do 30 years in the police and retire, but sometimes the grass is not greener on the other side. Mate, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through all of this. It's just it's just not not okay. And I think that call with the Federation just completely devalidates that whole experience that you had just by saying, Oh, but he's a good person because it's a lot it's a lot more than that. He clearly is not a good person as well. Um but how how did this whole experience make you feel as well? Taking into account this experience and all the other experiences that I've had so far in my life, it does prevent you from becoming the best person that you can be. And deep down in me, I, I do have a sense of imposter syndrome, you know, an element of not feeling good enough or equal. And the fact that I have to work harder than everyone else. 
And if you look at the bigger picture, I don't think people realise how powerful words are and how powerful they can be. Words have an energy attached to them. So think about the impact that this is going to have on an individual because your words are often remembered. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank PC Ben. You know who you are. And if you're listening to this, thank you for being a great ally and for standing up for me back then. And I know these are my own personal experiences, but other minority ethnic officers will be able to relate to this. And I hope that you this will open up conversations. One thing I'd like to clarify is that in the police, you know, you have some really amazing colleagues, friends and officers. However, there are some bad apples. Yeah, I think your your mate Ben, I think it's a perfect example of being a good ally. So in a sense of when you have that privilege to speak up, you you have to. Like you can't just sit there and let let those things happen because you've got this privilege. You need to be the one to to step forward and say, actually no, this this isn't okay. Completely agree with you. I think we need more Bens in the world. It's like, uh, whether that's in your personal life or in the workplace, people will challenge and they're not afraid to challenge or speak out. 100%. And even if they're not your family or someone close to you, it's probably even more important to do it for, to stand up for someone that you may not even know because you can see that in, like there's injustice, there's discrimination going on. You need to be that voice voice to say, actually shut up basically that's, that's it <laughs> literally um, literally literally that I, I, I would swear but I'm not going to <laughs> shut the hell up man um yeah I just want to just say thank you so much for sharing all your experiences with us because I know it's it must have been hard to kind of relive those experiences but it's it's amazing and it's going to raise so much awareness around how people can actually help and what to do in the future when when they see something like this going on. So Higgsy, what about you? Have you ever been discriminated against or have you felt any discrimination? So personally, being a, a white female, I I haven't felt any anything close to what, what you've experienced. So hearing all of these things you've been through and these situations, it's really it really hit, hits the heartstrings because, yeah, I I couldn't begin to to think what, what that would feel like. And uh, have you ever witnessed discrimination? So not you personally, but have you ever seen discrimination happen in front of you? So I haven't seen racial discrimination, but I think if I know if I did, I would definitely be how how Ben was and I would definitely stand up for for what was going on regardless if I knew the person or not I love that I love that and like I said these are the type of people we need like like you Ben it's just it's um people as long as people back each other that's that's the, that's the main thing 100% if you can't if you can't relate to what's going on you've just got to try and put yourself in those shoes and think what what would I want someone to do in this situation so yeah it's, it's so important thank you thank you Higsy. thank you for being open if there's one key takeaway from this episode that you could give what what would that be i think we need more bends in the world uh, great allies people are going to stand up for what's right 
But in terms of an organisational viewpoint, I mentioned that the skipper was a fairly new line manager. So as an organisation, you should be able to provide the resources, tools, even courses, training, uh, for example, in terms of unconscious bias, uh, just to raise awareness and make them better aligned with their teams when they when they join the teams i think that's probably a, a useful approach so this was a, a very deep conversation today so if you feel impacted by any of these experiences that were shared today or any of the topics please feel free to reach out to either one of us um but thank you so much for listening and please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also give it a rating and review if you enjoyed it Our next episode will be dropping next month as well. So stay tuned. Thank you again uh, for listening and we'll see you next time on diversity and inclusion. Satisfying the tick box.